0: ahead to get started tonight. I've I've got uh, actually got 6:31, almost 6:32. So we'll go ahead and get going. Can y'all hear me? Okay. Is it good? Okay. All right. Well, we'll go ahead uh, tonight. As, as you know, we've been looking at uh, First Timothy, and we'll continue on on that tonight. Uh, so if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, there certainly can. We'll be looking at part of. Chapter three, and hopefully getting into Chapter four uh, tonight. Uh, but first of all, welcome. Uh, I don't know how much y'all have felt overwhelmed by the world this week. Uh, this this week has been a little more overwhelming to me than some weeks, but uh, but I know y'all are dealing with uh, school and work and a lot of other things. So uh, glad you're here. It's, it's good to be able to stop in the middle of the week and just visit with Christian people and uh, be able to to share. So, again, thank you for, for coming. I'm, on, I'm going to be asking for prayer requests in, in just a second, so if you have a prayer request, certainly let me know about that. Um, you know, the, uh, I, oh, I failed to mention. Uh, it's in, our, in an email I got out, uh, I got received, that um, indicated that Emma Slaughter's having a birthday this Saturday. Uh, I think it said 91st birthday. Uh, so, and encouraged us to send her a card just to, recognize that and to encourage her and then also there's been a baptism this week uh Cameron Thompson a college student was baptized last Wednesday uh, I don't know Cameron hopefully we'll get to know Cameron but uh, just wanted to make sure and point that out to you all tonight uh, on particular prayer request uh you know Sunday morning uh, Dean Sanders mentioned to us about a co-worker I think it was Dean whose son had COVID and then subsequently we've learned has passed away so we want to keep their family in our prayers apparently he had—he was married with children and, and all of that so we want to do that um, and then Gerald Duncan's visitation is tomorrow at 1pm at Leak Memory and the Graveside Services are at 2 uh, we we'll remember that uh, any other prayer requests from, from you all tonight? Any, anybody you all want to make sure we mention tonight? yes sir Definitely. So Adam Pemberton's having bone marrow biopsy tomorrow. Um, big deal. Okay. Anyone else? All right, well, let's pray together. Our Father, we are, we are so grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight. Father, we're thankful for each Christian, each family that's represented. We um, want to pray in particular tonight for the family of Dean Sanders' co-worker, His son, who who passed away, we want to pray for that family and and that loss, and pray for their comfort. And Father, we pray for um, the family of Gerald Duncan and the visitation and graveside service tomorrow, and pray for them the ongoing days already and the days ahead. Father, we especially want to pray for Adam Pemberton. Uh, He's been through so much over the recent times, and but particularly tomorrow, having a bone marrow biopsy done. We pray that that goes well and that the results are what they need to be to continue and further direct his treatment. And, and Father, we just pray for him and for the whole family. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you want us to know about how to be pleasing to you. We're thankful how your word expresses your love for us. And Father, we're thankful for that love. And we, Father, we pray for your forgiveness where, where we have... Uh, not done the things that we should have done or, or have left done, left undone or have done things that we should not have done. And, and certainly, Father, we pray that we would repent and, and be about what you'd want us to be. Father, in every way, help us to glorify you. Defeat us in whatever we want to do that's evil. and Help us to overcome that desire and to be about uh, doing your will uh, each and every day. We pray in Jesus' All right, well... Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Last week, as as you all know, we spent a good bit of time talking about the qualities that the Bible describes relative to elders, uh, men that would be elders, and we covered a a goodly number of those last week and certainly appreciate the the feedback that we got from several uh, last week. And I just want to encourage you, if you want to jump in there this week and make comments, you're welcome to do so as we go along. We've got a A few more things to talk about regarding elders, and and then we're going to move into deacons and and other things after that. So that's kind of where we've been and where we're going. Uh, Just to set the context, though, I'm going to go back and actually read again 1 Timothy uh, because we're going to pick up in verse 6 in the study. So I'm just going to go back to verse 1. and and So turn in your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and just read along with me. Uh, It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer, It is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, How will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid game, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. All right. Thanks for hanging in there with me on that, but I just felt like it was important to go back and sort of refresh our mind on that as we progress on in this study. So where we wanted, where we left off at last week was verse 6, uh, when it references an elder not being a, a, a new convert. And I, I think that's self-evident in terms of uh, what's necessary in the eldership position, so I won't really dwell on that, but, but did want to make mention of that since the Scripture does mention it. I, I do want to focus on this issue though of having a good reputation with those outside the church Um, I think that uh, probably a lot of things could say about this Uh, Daniel last week our Daniel (laughs) made a comment referring to this I think it was a very good comment uh, where where it is important to consider how how is this person viewed outside of of our number Uh, because well because why I mean if, if this person really has uh, problems outside the congregation in interacting with the world, well, there, there are at least a couple of issues there, right? I mean, uh, one issue might be that, that whatever they're having problems with might so ensnare them uh, that, that they really wouldn't be available to do the work of an elder. And as we've said before, it, it is an office, but it is a work. And there is work to be done so if there is an issue outside of the congregation that is so engaging them that uh, it makes them uh, unproductive in their work as an elder then then that's that's a problem right and, and this this verse sort of references to that or, and I think that's part of what it means in terms of a good reputation to avoid reproach and the snare of the devil but but I think the other part is if if we nominate a person who who the world sort of sees, as a scoundrel of whatever version, right? Well, what what does that tell the world? we need to ask ourselves, what does that tell the world? Well, it might tell the world, well, <laughs> they've appointed somebody who they feel like represents them well, who is who's admirable, and therefore I don't really want to be a part of that group, right? I think the other thing it might tell them is about, about us also, right? And that we're willing to appoint somebody who, who maybe is viewed unfavorably in the outside world. It, ultimately, it says something back about the, the body of Christians that, that meet here and that might be willing to do that. So uh, I think that uh, is a very important um, quality uh, that uh, is important in men who are elders or who might become elders uh, to, to be careful about. I do want to look at three other passages relative to elders. Now, now there are a lot of passages in the New Testament about elders. I'm not going to try to cover all of them, but there are three in particular that I feel like relate to this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, that I'd like for us to focus on. Uh, so, so let's look at some of these and, and then sort of see what else we can do to augment our understanding of chapter 3. So turn over a few pages in 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 17 through 22. <clears throat> scripture says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest along also excuse me so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning i solemnly charge you in the presence of god and Christ jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias doing nothing in a spirit of partiality do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share the, share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourselves free from sin or keep yourself free from sin. All right, a lot here. Um, I, I wanna highlight a couple of parts that are discussed here. First of all, in the very first uh, line where it talks about ruling well, uh, some of your versions might say, provide effective leadership. Uh, I actually like that phrase probably even a little better, uh, particularly in our context today, because uh, effective leadership is sort of the way I think most of us tend to think about elders, but uh, ruling certainly isn't an appropriate word also, and, and some versions use that word. So uh, I did want to just briefly mention that. But let's talk about accusations. Uh, allegations might be another word. Uh you know, a lot of things can be, somebody can be accused of a lot of things. Allegations can be made. I hope we all recognize that just because an allegation is made, it's not necessarily true. And, and, and scripture sort of here specifically sort of addresses that. And I think you remember when we talked about some of the qualities early on in terms of an elder, that they should be the kind of person that if someone says something bad about them, our first reaction should be, no way. I know that person. They're, they don't do that. And and I think this passage sort of goes along with that. I mean, don't take an accusation lightly. I, you know, the again, accusation does not equal guilt. And, and a lot of times in our society, it seems like, particularly in the cancel cult, accusations seem to can, want to be trans into being a full-blown conviction and sentence. And, and that's just not true. And Scripture, thankfully, uh, alludes to that here because it says if, if an accusation is made, uh, obviously our first impression about these people would be that they're not true. Uh, but if we're going to take an accusation, there must be two or three witnesses. And there's going to have to be somebody who's actually seen what's happened for me to even begin to possibly believe what this is. Uh, and, and that can happen. And I, and I think that's why this is here is because it, it, it can happen. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be very frequent, but it can happen. And But again, we don't take it lightly. Um, so, so one part of this is sort of establishing is it a fact or not? Um, I think the other part here is the scripture references basically do they continue in it? In other words, uh, we all are human, right? We all may have done something that we would rather not have done. Well, hopefully we would do what? We would repent. We would change our ways. We would would ask for forgiveness and we would repent of whatever it is. And this scripture is alluding to the situation where the person apparently is unwilling to repent because it describes continuing in it. Well, if they continue in it, then that elder must be uh, rebuked in the presence of all so that the rest uh, will be fearful of sinning. I want to hone in on the rest. The rest referring to who? The rest of, of us, right? The rest of the, the group. Uh, you know, our society highly values individualism. Uh, well, thankfully in the church we're not supposed to be just a group of random individuals thrown together. We're to function as what? A, a body, as a group. Um, you know, uh, a word that gets used a lot today is community. You know, we're to be that. We're, we're to uh, have love, appreciation, and care for one another. We're not just individuals. So uh, when he just sort of uses the reference of the rest, I think it's pretty clear he's talking about the, the rest of the congregation. That you would do what? That you would be fearful of sinning. Well, because you don't want that to happen to you, right? And none of us wants to be rebuked publicly. Uh, You know, there may be times and situations where that's appropriate, but that's not what we desire. Uh, And that uh, doing that publicly is, uh, Scripture says, is uh, part of the purpose of that is uh, rebuking in the presence of all so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. So again, a disincentive to continue on in sin. The second set of verses I want to look at, turn with me in your Bibles to Titus. We're going to look at Titus chapter 1. We've got five verses there. For this reason, uh, excuse me, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Much of what's written here we, we read in, in earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm not going to repeat those same qualities that were described there, but uh, there are a few things here I want to pick up on. Uh, Here it specifically mentions having children who believe. And I want to contrast that to what it says a little bit later about deacons where it talks about deacons managing the children in their household. It doesn't really describe if they believe or not. Well, I think that by just purely reading it, it seems to anticipate, not always true, but it does seem to anticipate that most of the time elders are going to be uh, men who are more mature uh, than the deacons are. Uh, in their family structure and the age of their children and that sort of thing, not exclusive, not always, but but certainly the requirement of having children who believe is there. Now, um, and that's in uh, as far as the contrast with the deacons is that's First Timothy chapter three verse twelve. Doug Schofield last week uh, referenced the importance of refuting bad doctrine. Um, you know, there there is unsound doctrine, obviously, that can get uh, intradicted into a, a congregation or into just even a single family or single person. And, and whoever would be an elder needs to be somebody who's what? Who's capable of of contradicting that. Well, hopefully preventing it, ho- hopefully teaching and, and uh, advocating for and exhorting better behavior. Uh, but they also need to be the kind of person who is knowledgeable enough about Scripture and has the kind of relationships they need to have to be able to actually refute Uh, people that would try to interject false doctrine. Uh, So I appreciate him mentioning that. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9 uh, mentions that, again, uh, the uh, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. You know, they needed this in the first century. We need it today. We absolutely need... Uh, men to help lead and guide the con- congregation who can contradict false doctrine. It exists, and, and it is all around us, be it from the world or, or be it even from individuals who are trying to insert something that is not scriptural. Uh, so that skill is still very critical in our day and, and will be for all time. The third set of verses I'd like to look at is in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to turn a few pages over there, I want to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Somebody whispered something. Chapter 5. Okay. Um, That is the fruit of the Spirit as it's described in Galatians 5, right? Well, those are Qualities that we should all aspire to have. I mean, we should all want to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, right? Uh, but the reason why I mention it here is because if there is a person who might be being considered uh, to be an elder who, who maybe meets some of the other qualities that we've described previously, but they really don't manifest the fruit of the Spirit, well, then I'm not sure they, they qualify either, right? Because of the, uh, that being just a, a, something that we should all uh, be about. Uh, developing the fruit of the Spirit and sharing those activities. So I want to make sure that we, we sort of understand that the, the qualities that are articulated in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1 are really built on the base of someone who who does manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So um, that's about it in terms of what I wanted to cover before I, before I leave the topic of elders, though. I want to open it up to you all. If If you all want to add any additional comments or have any questions, I, I'll stop now and and leave that to you all before we move on. Any particular uh, issues or questions you want to ask about?
1: going to be on the elders, because the elders leave the church, they die in the church, and if they, you know, give in to certain doctrines, and they fall into the snare, then the entire congregation can be led down the wrong path. So, I just think it's really important to pray for the elders...
0: Wow, what a great point. Amen. Yeah, what a what a great point. Uh, for the sake of the folks online, I want to try to repeat a little bit of what you said, Tommy, that uh, we need to be in prayer for our elders because uh, Satan's going to attack the lead. And uh, he's going to attack all of us, but he's particularly going to prize attacking the leaders. And, and we definitely need to be in prayer for our elders because they do have to confront that in in and in, in, satan would uh, say that would be a real prize to get one of the elders right and uh, we do need to be in prayer for these men excellent point anyone else all right um well let's let's move on then to, to look at deacons uh, a bit and uh, got ahead of myself some on the slides but we'll do that Um, the verses 8 through 13 in 1 Timothy 3. So if you're not there, please turn back to there or or the verses we're going to focus on now. I won't reread them because we've read through them a few times already. Um, You know, very basic understanding of the word deacon is that it is the same as the word servant. Uh, So we can say that all deacons are servants. But we can't say all all servants are deacons, right? Because why? Because of some of these particular qualities that are described in, in these verses that we're gonna be looking at. And, you know, and there are a variety of qualities here described. And most of them are similar to those of the elders. Certainly, they should be men of dignity, uh, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine. Uh, you know, we talked last week about you know, perhaps even in the first century there was some uh, low-grade alcohol consumption, but very different society we live in today. Uh, there are many other things you can drink safely. Uh, but the opportunity to share the gospel can be hampered by uh consumption of alcohol uh you know think about it would would you be comfortable doing that and and even if you were comfortable, what impression would it give someone else about you if you were partaking of alcohol and uh and even from just purely an economic standpoint, I don't want to support that industry i don't you know Alcohol has caused so much heartache in our society and, and for hundreds of years, thousands of years, but alcohol has caused so much heartache in our society, I don't want to support that industry either uh, because of that. Families have been torn apart. Children have grown up without adequate resources. We could go on and on, but, but that is described here as not addicted to much wine, not fond of sordid game. Uh, then he mentions also holding the mystery of the faith with clear conscience. Um, And then finally, first to be tested and then let them serve if they are beyond reproach. Let's talk about that first to be tested for a moment. Um, You know, it is important to to sort of have a feel for uh, are these people that we're considering to be deacons dependable or not? Have they manifested a quality of being dependable? Uh, Are they they that way or not? Well, I think it's good to understand that before they they get appointed into that uh, situation. Uh, I guess there are a variety of ways that people could be tested, but certainly they need to be known well enough to know uh, would they be dependable. I, I do want to talk about the beyond reproach reference. Now, some of your versions may say blameless. The reason why I want to make mention of that is blameless is not the same as sinless. How do we know that? Well, if it was sinless, Daniel, go ahead.
1: There's a reference to it in the Old Testament. Noah was considered blameless. However, what he did was blameless in his age, it not sinless in his age. Because if he was sinless in his age, he had no business teaching for a hundred years because he wasn't needed Jesus. He was sinless, but he was blameless.
0: Okay, so Noah was described as being blameless, but he was not sinless because he, he still required Jesus, right? As we all do. And I think that that gets at the point I was going to make is blameless is not the same thing as sinless because if it was sinless, then who would be qualified? Nobody. Right? No one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, so what does it mean? Uh, well, the... Reference mostly is understood as being not holding on to chronic sins. Uh, I would say that they're willing to repent of whatever the issue is. They're gonna, they're willing to let it go, uh, to start out on a new path in life, and thereby thankful to the grace of God that He's willing to forgive us so that we can go forward in a blameless way. But we can never say that we were sinless. So I wanted to touch base there just just for a minute because. I do know some people have had questions about that. Uh, You know, clearly there are men who are willing to repent uh, and there are men who probably aren't willing to repent. And and the difference matters. Now, let's talk about a question that's really a question of of our time in particular. Maybe it's been a question all along relative to deacons and these verses. Uh, You know, just earlier this week I read an article about how the uh, Catholic Church has nominated some group that's going to study the issue of can women serve as deacons or not. Uh, In Catholicism, the deacon is a different role from from what we're reading about here in the Bible, but uh, but certainly the Catholics are not the only group out there to have studied and looked at this issue. There are many other groups out there that have uh, done that and, and have come to conclusions about that. I want us to focus on that because uh, we need to be prepared to deal with that. You know, First Timothy chapter three verse eleven is often used by people that would like to see uh, women in various roles, uh, like being a deacon. You know, verse eleven again says, "You know, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things." So the question is, well, well what is that verse all about? Well, you know, is is that verse just sort of giving additional guidance for women in general? Uh, is that uh, verse about women deacons? Is that verse about the wives of deacons? Uh, and I think we need to be able to answer that question. You know, some of the modern versions. You know, I'm reading from New American Standard, and uh, it uses women, but there are other modern versions that use the word wives. Uh, you know, English Standard Version uses wives. The New New English Translation uses wives. Um, so. Uh, that word, but either word you use, either women or wives, uh, I think you you still have to be able to say, you know, um, how to answer that question still is pertinent. Let me back up and say it that way. You know, women, those who would say women or wives can occupy the office of deacon. Those who would say that, I, I would say no. And why? Well, because of verse 12, right? What does verse 12 say? Verse 12 says that deacons must be husbands of only one wife, good managers of their children in their own household. So that's pretty clear. Uh, Pretty clear. Now, I have said before, you know, what goes on in our times of assembly is very important. Uh, But as far as the total week that we operate in, there's a whole lot more hours that we spend outside of the assembly. There are plenty of opportunities for men and women to, to be very involved in, serving others and doing other things and being very active and uh, fulfilling the will of God in the world. So, uh, you know, again, I, I don't see it as limiting in, in that regard. And the the limitation, though, is around the office itself. And, and that's what, where Scripture comes into sort of giving us that guidance. So that is very important. Uh, just to end up on chapter three a little bit, you know, he, he says, well, why am I writing to you now? Oh, yes, I'm sorry, Caleb.
2: context of this verse, it seems very clear that he is talking about the body, and also that there's an expectation that if you are going to elevate somebody in the opposite you, not just look at them, looking at them, looking at them, mm-hmm. at we see this earlier in the chapter, you have to consider a person, not just them, when you're thinking about doing this, and so, uh, if you understand the sort of uh, dynamic
0: excellent point caleb um you know the the for again for the sake of those online the, the context being that, that they would have seen the, the unit of the family the unit of the husband and the wife and in sort of characterizing some of the qualities of the, the wives makes perfect sense is that fair caleb and of course other verses here that talk about even the children right so that makes perfect sense so Okay, um, he, he goes on to say, well, why, why is he writing this to you now? Well, we've, we've talked before about how I sort of view 1 Timothy as being focused at, a, at an individual level, but also being focused at the uh, congregational or assembly level. And both of those aspects are covered. And the, the key verse I sort of used for the congregational aspect is uh, this particular verse that's covered here in verse 15. Uh, referencing so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. At the very end, he references the mystery of godliness and just sort of lays it out. Now, you know, mystery to us, sort of—I don't know—maybe we think Agatha Christie or something like that. But um, I've never read an Agatha Christie, by the way. Ray, you probably can't believe that. Okay, <laughs> but uh, uh, but but having said that, though, mystery biblically is more what is what has not been revealed and, and then saying, well, now it has been revealed. Well, what has been revealed? What has been revealed is, is Jesus in, in Jesus as the son of God and what he actually looked like and how he actually lived his life was was different from what they were anticipating. So um, again, the, the word mystery there, I think uh, for us is better thought of in terms of being revealed. Uh, any other questions about Chapter Three? I'm fixing to move on to Chapter Four. Any other comments you all would like to make? Okay, let's look at let's look at Chapter Four, and um, let's see. In Chapter, I uh, see. There we go. Chapter Four. I want to look at the first five verses. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. Well, there's so much here. Um, <clears throat> a couple of aspects of this. Let's look first at the transition statement there in the first verse. Uh, you know, he's just finished with this discussion of elders and deacons and talking about the, the mystery of godliness and then he then he goes from that statement about the mystery of godliness into verse 1 where he says, but the Spirit explicitly says and, and goes on into what the um, Spirit is saying obviously as it goes along. So that's one aspect of it is is that there, there's this transition. Uh, the other aspect of it here though is that he mentions that some will fall away from the truth or from the faith. You know... We, we've talked about that earlier this quarter, so I won't dwell on it too much, the concept or the idea that you could fall away. That it's not once saved, always saved. And it's not. Well, again, why do we know that? Because Scripture says it, and it gives us example after example of it. Um, and, and here he mentions again the possibility that someone could fall away. Now, I, I do, I can't go past the, the explicit. I, I want to talk about Explicit. Um, I, I made some notes about explicit in, in terms of, of what uh, sort of stands out to me about that. You know, when you say the Spirit explicitly says it's a reminder that Scripture is from God through the Spirit to the hand of man to record it. You know, it's very forthright in how it's said. Well, that's that's not what the world wants to hear, Right? I mean, the world wants to say what it's just a collection of writings that men have done, and therefore, what we can question it, we can delegitimize it because it's just men writing it. Well, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible claims about what is written in in its pages. So, uh, again, I want to make sure we point out the explicitly part of that. The role of the Spirit um, is is a commonly discussed topic in Scripture. Now, we, we could talk a whole quarter about it, but I want to I talk specifically about a few aspects of this tonight. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 14. We'll look at verses 15 through 17. There Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him but you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. So that the coming and the nature of the Spirit was foretold directly by Jesus. Another verse I want to look at is just turn back a page to same book, Gospel of John. Look at chapter 14. I want to look at verses 25 and 26. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So here he, he's describing what the pivotal role that the script that the Spirit has in giving us the Scripture that we have today. And then finally, 2 Timothy chapter three verse sixteen and seventeen that we all know uh, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, the spirit is the basis of explaining to us what what are good things to do you know what are good works and again has a pivotal role in the everyday life of a Christian today um, so these are three aspects of that I wanted to point out real briefly because I know we're in the last few minutes back to first Timothy chapter 4 when it mentions latter times uh, latter times he, he says you know that in the latter times that people will, uh, fall away. Well, latter times is, it just says latter times. It's not a specific time, but really could be any time what? After the, really, I guess, after you'd say the, the, the uh, scriptural writings go silent, any time after the first century. And, uh, you know, be it in the second century or be it today, I would say we all live in, in latter times, uh, and that's important. You know, clearly he says, though, that people would fall away. Well, not just individuals, but even whole congregations might fall away. And you see that in Revelation, in the first part of Revelation. Jesus himself addresses several congregations and the problems that they've had and whatnot and where they need to change. Now, the last part of this I want to, I want to stress to you, and that is about history and falling away. And um, Falling away is something that has happened from the very beginning. You go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, in a sense, fell away from what God had told them to do, right? Or to not do. Um, It it goes on. I mean, think about about the children of Israel. They're, They're down at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. What's going on? They're building a calf, a golden calf. At that moment, they've just been through the Red Sea not too long before that. And they're already building a red calf, uh, a golden calf. So, so there is that tendency to, to fall away. Nadab and Abihu offered what? A strange fire, that which was not commanded. They, they demonstrated a willingness to go beyond what Scripture said. They were falling away. And God told Moses, after you die, these people are going to fall away. And, and they did again and again. They had the pattern of falling away and coming back, falling away and coming back. And, and that repeating pattern can happen even today. And I think we can see it even today. Um, And that's why the scripture is here. Knowing that pattern exists, for men to fall away, we shouldn't be surprised by it, right? Men have demonstrated through the centuries the tendency to do that. So we need to watch for it, look for it, anticipate it, and what be prepared. Be prepared. You know, let's, let's try to prevent it, uh, or at least address it. And of course, one of the most effective ways to prevent it is what? Clear biblical teaching. Uh, and us looking at that clear biblical teaching and understanding it, and understanding what the Bible really says about some of the issues that go along that lead people away. The other part of it is our personal commitment uh, to not allow ourselves to fall away. And also another part of it is what? Love. God's love for man, our love for one another, but also our willingness to what? Speak the truth in love. So so there are many parts uh, to this pattern that we need to watch for and need to be ready to respond to and not be surprised by. You know, so much of what we see today is not new. It's not new. Oh, it may be shiny or it may have be covered up with technology or whatever, but it's not new mankind's willingness to go beyond Scripture, our own lack of commitment, our lack of speaking the truth in love, all those are problems that are not new. Those are mistakes that humans have repeated over and over again. I don't want to be part of that pattern. I know you don't want to be part of that pattern either. So let's encourage one another, and thank you all for being here tonight, and really appreciate it.